What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my one co-host, Michael Nolan. We have another great show for you, but before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, give us a follow on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. Today, we're back for another episode of the Hooligan Half Hour, where we interview fans of Premier League clubs on this side of the Atlantic. Joining us today is a close friend of the show, back for a second time, Paul Dorsey of the Stateside Seagulls. Woo-hoo! Let's go. Seagulls represent Albion. <laughs> uh, Paul, for those new listeners that we probably picked up over the last year that you've been on the podcast, uh, give us a little background about yourself, you know, how you became a Brighton supporter, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I've been I've been a Brighton supporter for gosh, it's been about 10 years now. So back in the the championship days. Um, I yeah, I can't really understand or remember why I chose Brighton in the first place I've always been kind of an underdog supporter I'm from Baltimore I'm an Orioles fan so that kind of is self-explanatory but um yeah it just kind of <laughs> yeah yeah for <laughs> sure yeah so it's just always been you know I didn't want to support a top six team can't exactly remember how Brighton maybe you know playing FIFA or something like that but started following them in 2012 um 2013 we were in the playoff semifinal against Palace and I really was you know really into it then we lost that playoff semifinal, but just the community element, just everybody kind of being together. And, and, you know, I didn't really understand the robbery at that point, but, you know, everybody being so excited about it and, and so welcoming to an American supporter was really mm-hmm. something that was like, you know, this is, this is just my, this is my team now. And it's been growing since then, obviously um, in the past, you know, this is the sixth year for us in the premier league. Um, it's been just unbelievable. I can't, even begin to imagine how you know where I was 10 years ago you know following Brighton and and now it it feels like two different worlds but the club is just it means so much to me it's been a roller coaster of six years as well and you guys have just steadily improved 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 and I believe if I'm not mistaken to this last year where Potter and the and the gang got Brighton up to if not if I'm not mistaken their best finish in the Premier League yeah. era, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. By, by a wide margin, yeah, yeah. for sure. F- 51 points, finishing ninth. That's a hell yeah. of a season. I mean, can you kind of talk us through the last season, what the vibes were for you, the fans, the supporters, both stateside and abroad? I mean, how are people feeling about this team So after this past season? Yeah, I, I think that it was always building toward that. So I know the, the year before it was, you know, all the talk about the XG goals and, and just kind of figuring out that we were a good team. We just couldn't act put that together um mm-hmm. but there was always just that that kind of feeling especially if you know the history of brighton and where we were in the 90s and and how close we were to not even being a team for me to support at all um you know it, it really was one of those things where and especially you know me being a, a fan since 2012 2013 so mm-hmm. i knew what the championship days were like as well it was always one of those things where it was like you know i i don't really care about you know chasing for the top 10 i just want to make sure that we're in the premier league next season so you know, relegation fighting against that was always going to be the primary goal. And anything above that was going to be, you know, a, a you know cherry on top of the cake. But once we started to get those results and once we kind of knew that the team was going to do well, especially, you know, being able to actually score goals and, and keep clean sheets and, and keep teams at bay. Mm-hmm. And we actually had those results go our way that wouldn't have in years prior. I think that was really something that galvanized not only the team but the supporter base to be like you know this is actually something that could happen the club has talked about wanting to be a consistent top 10 premier league club going Mm -hmm. forward and i think that last year was 
not only an indication, but kind of a, a trajectory or, you know, a showing of what is the future, not just like this is a blip, but this is going to be what we're going to do going forward, especially under Graham Potter, who's yeah. been an absolute godsend. I mean, you know, I was happy when Chris Hewton brought us up to the Premier League and I was like, okay, you know, if we finish 14th, 15th every year, I'm happy. This is cool just being in the Premier League. And now Graham Potter's come in transformed how we play so we used to be very defensive we used to not let goals in and, and barely yep. score but score yep. enough to keep us up and now we're doing the same thing but we're actually scoring and, and making moves offensively and I think that's really you know it's better to watch the games now because they're more exciting mm-hmm. but then also we're getting the results to to back that up too so it's just it's a really good time to be a Brighton fan it's been impressive to watch in all honesty and to see the trajectory like you're talking about from because I remember when Brighton first came into the Premier League a couple of years ago you had that expectation that they were just very stout, like you mentioned mm-hmm. in that defensive way. And even more so once Potter came in, I've, I've always said this, and this just goes to him as a manager, which we'll get to in a little bit, but his ability to really tactically change the game in both prior and in game with his sub halftime um, ability has, is, is honestly remarkable. And I think that's been like a key factor for both obviously the season, but even more so how he's been able to get the best out of all the players that you've had when, you know, in years past, like I've always said, and you know, I, obviously you'll throw this back in my face now because the, right, the writing's there. I've always said like, oh, the need for another striker. I need to do this. I need yeah. to do that. And yeah. Potter has found a way to just consistently get the most out of each player on that field, especially up top. And it's, it's unbelievable to see. Yeah, it's been really fantastic. And especially, you know, like you were saying, we need another striker with, I'm, we'll probably get into this more deeply, but with Neil Mope leaving, yeah. it, it's trying to figure out you know, he wasn't going to be a 20 goal scorer every season. He was going to score his maybe five to 10 and then also contribute to an attacking play where, you know, maybe mm. a striker doesn't score, but a midfielder and Trossard scored a lot of goals first. Pascal Gross has really started off the season hot. Yeah, he has. Um, so it's not necessarily about finding the striker that's going to score the goals for it. It's about finding the right pieces to be able to build that play going forward. And the goals will happen from whoever is willing to take that shot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, second straight season, you started off pretty hot. I remember last year, it was like three wins, maybe three draws before your first loss, something along those lines. And then this year, I mean, you're sitting top four right now, even with the recent loss to Fulham. I mean, you did have a dark period last year. I want to say it was between, what, February and March or March and April, mm-hmm. where you guys went winless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was, there were, there were definitely some moments there where, you know, as a Brighton fan, as a knowing where we had been the past few seasons it was just kind of like okay we're kind of regressing back to that you know we were kind of Mm -hmm. flying high we're going to finish top 10 and then that period happened it was like okay we have to watch over our shoulders now again which I was never really concerned about it I I thought that we had enough points in the bag I thought we had enough of a potential to actually turn results in Mm -hmm. to be fine but it was just kind of that, you know, writing on the wall, like, okay, maybe this isn't our year. Maybe the top 10 thing isn't going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it was just, it, it showed that galvanization, not only under Potter, but also with the team itself and, and how committed the the players are to the commitment, the commitment at Brighton is just, you know, how they can turn, you know, a pretty long, I think it was actually, it may have been our longest Premier League winless run at that point in time, how we can turn that into not only, you know, turning it around, beating Manchester United 4-0, you 
you know, turn our kind of putrid home run as well. And, 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 you know, beating Man United 4-0 at home, I, th- I think that kind of shook the, the cobwebs off of us too, to actually get that home result and such a, an emphatic one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that really helped us in, in terms of finishing off the season strong and getting that top 10 finish in the Premier League and really having that commitment around the fan base and around the, the team, just, you know, that we can do what we see in our minds as a goal to have but then also set us up for success this season where we can push on and potentially make a, a European, uh, you know, a European play if we can. Do you think that's kind of the, like, do you think Europe's basically like the goal or the aspirations for the club? Is that too far ahead? I mean, ninth place finish obviously really well, but um, you think it's too yeah, soon I, to be I saying it's okay? Or? I, I would love to. I, I know that that's kind of the the talk around the supporters the supporters atmosphere is just the, you know, we, we really want to make a, a push for European football, but we also, we also are a little fearful, especially since we had had such a, a hard, not hard, but just such a difficult run. The first five seasons that we were in the premier league of the first four mm-hmm. that we just, we always need to be watching over our shoulder because like you were saying earlier, Fulham could, they could finish in the top 10 this year, or, mm-hmm. you know, wolves could come in from league one, less than 10 years ago and be one of the top teams in the premier league, you know, mm. anybody can compete against anybody in the premier league. So there's always that expectation that, you know, there's the ambitions of the club to be top 10, to be in a European place. And that's where I think the talent of the club is, but it's the premier league. Anything can happen. We just need to be, you know, we, we need to push forward. We want to look, progressively at what we can do but we also need to be realistic about the fact that this is the best league in the world yeah. and we're coming up against anybody who can beat us on any given day so we need to we need to just you know kind of have that in mind that might be a good transition so i guess picking up the baton and moving a little bit to not the past season but this current season how it's been playing out and i want to start in the summer with just where the transfer policy has been, I guess, even more so you could think about it historically too, with what Brighton have been doing um, more mm-hmm. recently, you could think of like selling Ben White now, even more so over the summer, they've lost a couple of big name players like Cucurella, Basuma. They brought in, if I'm not mistaken, Estupian, which I thought was actually a, a very good signing, at least to help mm-hmm. re- replace Cucurella. And I think in time he will, he will obviously come true just watching him at Villarreal, but thinking of like the transfer policy, what Brighton has done, thus far leading into the season how would you rate that was it what you were expecting are you still expecting more you know from them before obviously while we're recording i think it closes tomorrow like 24 hours, yeah, hours tomorrow. tomorrow which so i don't think they'll make a rash decision by any means but they don't seem like yeah. a club that'll do that but i'm wondering if it's what you've expected so far yeah yeah it's definitely what i've expected so brighton are very much focused on the academy and bringing up players who either they have you know, brought up from 10, 11 years old. So like Evan Ferguson, he's regularly on the bench. He's 17. He's been through the Academy. He's probably going to be our next big striker whenever that happens. Um, Like you were saying before, Ben White came up through our Academy, sold to to Arsenal for 15 million pounds. So we're really focused on bringing up those young guys, either signing them young or bringing them up through our Academy. So the, the signings of, Julio and CISO, for example, that mm. made a lot of sense to me, bringing in Denis Zundav and Karen Matoma from Union Central Was, which is our sister club in Belgium. 
Um, that made sense too. You know, they're not necessarily new signings because they were technically signed, you know, in January or, you know, last year, but they came sure. in from, you know, from another club that we had an agreement with. So those made sense. I, I didn't really expect, and I know that a lot of supporters of Brighton and, and a lot of people like you are, are saying, you know, we need to sign a striker. It's, you know, especially with Neil Mope out the door, it's kind of like, you know, what do we do in terms of a goal seeking option? But I, I, we may, so there's talk about, you know, that we may sign a striker at some point in the next day. I wouldn't really put any money on that. I, I don't think yeah. it's going to happen. If it does, they're probably going to be loaned out or it's going to be, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do it in January, but I didn't really expect that to happen. Um, I mean, uh, but- I want to rephrase that too. I, I definitely do think you do, but I also do think that Welbeck, as long as he can stay healthy, he's, unbelievably talented he's, yeah and, he's, and that's he's, the he's thing a great, he's a great player i i really do agree that we need another striking option especially with neil mope leaving but i didn't expect it to happen because i just know how brighton operates and it's just not what we're going to do unless we are absolutely sure it's going to happen mm-hmm. and unless we have a plan in place we're not going to sign like danny welbeck and adam adam alana a few years ago were kind of the exception to the rule where we signed Mm-hmm. these players with you know big name prestige and and that's not really what we generally do so mm-hmm. unless it's somebody that we've had an eye on for like five years it's probably not or they're like 17 and they're going to be loaned out for a few years it's just not going to happen and that's why i really wasn't surprised that the and kukurea left either because it's not that we need the money for a transfer to make to bring in it's mm-hmm. that we need to keep investing what we can into the, set, the setup that we have. So the hundred million pounds that came in aren't going to be, you know, filtered into one player. They're going to be filtered into setting up, you know, mm-hmm. training grounds and bringing in a whole squad of young, of young players who may play for Brighton in a few years or may be sold for a profit. So it's, it's really kind of, not necessarily a, a short-term fix that we do. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, you know, we, we either sign a player, loan him out, and then make a profit off of him or loan him out and then bring him back when he's, you know, a, a superstar. So that's, you know, it, it, our transfer policy this summer hasn't really been surprising to me. It's just kind of surprising that we didn't have a striker. Yeah. That we had it and as an option because I think that it really has been a few years. It, it's time but it doesn't shock me that we didn't do it. Do you think any of those good? Go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say like, obviously like you were mentioning before, like aspirations, like best case scenario would be like maybe that conference league spot, like in Europe, but Mm -hmm. you obviously have the top six teams. You have someone like Newcastle, new owners spending God knows how much money. Exactly. Um, I'm not saying your transfer policy has to match up to anywhere near any of those, either of those squads to, to be able to get to Europe, Mm -hmm. but do you think it also hampers your guys' chances of really excelling into that top, like that pinnacle or, you know, that peak of like what you guys are trying to achieve? I think that, so assuming that, I think it really is dependent on what we do this year. So if we do make it into a European spot, I think that we do then have to invest. And especially mm-hmm. we, we signed us to Pinyon this year. I think he was a really shrewd signing, especially because we, you know, we bought Kukurea last year for, but 15 million sold him for 60 bought yeah. in Estepinion for the same amount that we paid for Kukurea. If he does anywhere near as good as Kukurea does, then we'll either profit off of him or he'll be 
a player that we can use potentially in a European spot. And then we can use the profits from the sales of Basuma, of Kukurea, potentially of, of um, Caicedo next year because he's you know touted as think, being another think, 15 million, 16 million say, star. You think, you think he's the next one to potentially have It that... seems like it, yeah. especially since apparently he's a Manchester United fan. It wouldn't surprise me if he went there but I, he's been fantastic he's done i remember you talking everything. about him last year saying like hey watch out so for well kid. so <laughs> yeah he's been unbelievable yeah. i think he's his transition from the belgian league and even before then from from ecuador from south america has mm-hmm. been astronomical i mean you you knew that kukurea was going to be good but he played in la liga he you know yeah. he was in europe already for Caicedo to come in he was so young he played for the worst team in the first division in Belgium and he came in and he tore apart Manchester Manchester United straight away and mm-hmm. he's he has not let off the gas since then it's been unbelievable and I think that he will if we do make the same decisions as we did with Kukurea or Basuma this summer mm-hmm. he probably will be the next one to leave if we're willing to if, you know somebody's willing to pay that much for him and we're willing to let him go but yeah, I think that it really depends on what we do this year. If we do make that push for Europe, mm-hmm. I think that it will be time to invest like we did. I mean, obviously better, but like we did with Lalana and Welbeck a few years ago, bringing mm-hmm. in those big names that can actually take us to the next level. I mean, at this point, as long as you guys just wait until the about the last day of the transfer window, man, you might pay 100 mil for Kaiser. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you have that, you might have that going for you. But- yeah. But yeah, I guess if in a perfect world, then is there anybody that you would like to see, like hypothetically, they pull the trigger in the next 24 hours? Is there anyone you earmarked at all? I'll take, I'll take Mitrovic, honestly. <laughs> he looked <laughs> pretty good against us yesterday. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, but honest, I think that he would be a perfect signing for us. He would, he's that, and that's what we kind of want Dennis Undav to be, but he's unproven. Mm-hmm. He played in Belgium. He was really good, but that's Belgium. That's not the premier league. So we're going to have to see what he brings, mm-hmm. but Mitrovic would be kind of the perfect signing because he brings just that ruthless streak. And I mean, I know it was the last time he was in the premier league. It didn't really work out for him, but he's showing that he can do it this year now. And last mm-hmm. year he, I mean, he's set a championship record for goals. So yeah. he knows where the goal is. He knows how to score goals and he's showing that he can do, he can do it in the premier league now. And we just need somebody like that who, you know, we, we put all the pieces in place and we get the ball up field. We make the right passes. We get the ball in the right positions, but we don't necessarily have that end product still at this stage, which is really frustrating to say after how many years of, of you know, being in the mm-hmm. Champions League spaces in, in XG. Mm-hmm. But, but we need somebody like that who can actually, and, and Welbeck, like you said before, is like that on a lot of occasions, but he is a little injury prone. He's mm-hmm. kind of hot and cold sometimes. Mm-hmm. We need somebody who's, you know, if not consistently on, then, you know, above average in terms of being able to, you know, put the ball in the net at least, you know, 10, 15 times a season. Have you guys really had like a double digit goal scorer recently? I mean, Trossard and Mopay, the only ones that come to mind. Have they yeah, hit the I, I don't think Mopay's gotten to like nine a few times, but yeah, I think that it's been, kind of just a combination of players who've gotten, you know, a handful of goals. And then, you know, we, we, again, we, even last year, we didn't score 
an excessive amount. We just scored enough to make it seem like we were actually decent at it. But yeah, it's we haven't had necessarily that ruthless striker in honestly as long as I've been a Brighton fan. So <laughs> I remember, Tough yeah, point. I remember one year in like the championship or something. Lewis Dunk led us <laughs> in goals. Uh, he had like five. And yeah, he was the team leader in, in goals. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so that's just kind of how my, my, my time as a Brighton fan has been. I could probably score as many goals as the, the leading scorer, but. <laughs> wow. I, I know I do. That's actually a really funny statistic to bring up. Um, speaking of your manager though, obviously we, we spoke a little bit about him earlier with Graham Potter. Um, obviously at least in my and Mike's opinion, we brought this up many times on our podcast. One of the best managers in the Prem, with with that like hands down. Do you think if Tottenham, Chelsea, any of those big clubs came knocking, do you think he leaves? Is he Brighton through and through? What's kind of like your like your guys' take on him? So I I think that really the only place that I can see him going that would actually make sense. And again, I can't read his mind. I don't know what his sure. motivations are, but I don't think that he would necessarily go to like Manchester United is kind of, it's kind of crazy right now. And I don't think anybody in their right mind would go there under the circumstances. Um, I think that the only place that he would go is the England national job mm. because, that would, and that's that would been, be, that'd be awesome. Wow. That's been kind of the, the conversation, at least on the Brighton side has been, you know, obviously most of the Brighton fans that I know, I mean, it's not really, you know, Stateside Seagulls is, is growing, but it's mostly English expats or sure. people in England that are, you know, supporters and we kind of are connected with. So everybody wants him to be the England national manager, especially depending on what happens at the World Cup this this winter. And especially if the U.S. knocks England out, that would be kind of funny. I don't think um, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that that's the biggest ticket for him at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe Tottenham, maybe. But they were, they were in for him, but ultimately yeah, he turned them down from what And I with, I mean, yeah. they're doing fine this year. I don't think, I don't think no, that job's going to open up anytime soon. Arsenal's doing fantastically. I know that he was kind of, there was talk about him at some point. So I think that England would be the best job for him. But I think that talking about like the top six, anything except for the England job, I think that what he has, the ability for him to not only do what he wants with the formations, but then also call up Tony Bloom, call up the board and be like, you know, hey, I want this player. or Hey, this is our Mm -hmm. strategy. This is how we want to play. Go find this type of player. I don't think he would have the type of freedom at any of the other top six teams or anywhere that he would kind of be able to go. I think he's been at Brighton for so long and has formed the team to his you know, desires in such a way that going to some other team probably wouldn't have the same ability to put his ideas in into fruition, but then also to be able to, you know, say like, you know, it was me that did this. I brought this team success instead of sure. the money brought the team success. So it doesn't really matter what the manager is. I'm going to be honest. If I will happily petition to have Graham Potter, as long as you're cool, then the Brighton fans are cool with it as England, <laughs> as England's manager. Cause I think he would be phenomenal. And I'm not saying, you know, they 
win a World Cup or anything, but I think if you have him as a manager for that Euro game, you have him as a manager in the World Cup, I think that their chances are exponentially better. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I, keep I, him at Brighton as an American <laughs> fan. I'll keep him at Brighton. But. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be actually a great if, like, if, if God forbid, he had ever had, never had to go somewhere. If he, has, if he wants to do the FIFA thing where you can both yeah. be the club and national manager, he <laughs> yeah, could do that. Remote, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. If, if he were to leave, let's just say, I'm just hypothetically speaking, um, how do you think Brighton as a club would fare? Do you think so, like we're, you guys are overly reliant on him and his tactics, or has he built such a solid foundation that the next guy could possibly just step in and just take over and maybe you know change things, tweak him a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that, see, it, it's always difficult to think about kind of what the future would be. So like when Chris Hewton left, I wasn't necessarily overly over the moon about that because even though he wasn't exciting or sure. you know, whatever, he kept the team up it didn't really matter how many points we had, we were up. It doesn't matter. So think about how we can play football now under Potters. You know, I, I, I had no idea what that even looked like. Mm-hmm. So with Potter leaving, you know, I think it would really depend on who came in after him. So I think that we would probably try to hire somebody like him who had that kind of progressive mindset. So somebody like an Eddie Howe or something like that. Obviously mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to hire Eddie Howe. He's at Newcastle and mm-hmm. God only knows how much money. So <laughs> So, you know, somebody like that, though, somebody in the mold of Graham Potter. So, like, if we sign, like, Sam Allardyce, like, it's Bruce, like, oh, my God, like, that would just, you know, forget about it. But, um, but yeah, I think it would really depend if we did do, you know, something like Potter, you know, some up-and-coming managers. So, I know that, you know, Nathan Jones at, at Luton Town is kind of, he has connections with Brighton. So I think that that might be an option for us, mm. but I, you know, I'm, I'm speculating on things that aren't even, yeah. you know, in talks Most, or yeah. anything, but you know, I think that that would be probably a potential for where we would go, but I think that we would be fine, at least in the short term. I think that, you know, if he did leave theoretically in the middle of the season or at the end of the season, like we, we would be fine for that season just I guess... off of the, the basis of what he created. And then, the way that the club is set up so focused on long-term success instead of, you know, signing some hundred million player sure. who can, you know, come in and, and fill a hole and whatever happens, happens. I think that the long-term success of the club from the top down is so strong that, you know, even though Graham Potter would leave and I, you know, I don't think that we would be anywhere near the success that we would have with him. I think that overall for the long-term, the club would be okay. I guess it just wouldn't on... reach the heights that he could probably take us to. Sure. So thinking about the now then, and not necessarily those hypotheticals, but how, how's the, how impressed have you been with the start of the season? Obviously fourth place, like we mentioned phenomenal yeah, so far, like the way you guys wild been to think about has been looking unbelievable. So I'm just curious to hear you and the supporters and how, what the thoughts are so, thus far. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it's been kind of, a whirlwind last year was that kind of the culmination of all the the things that happened before that to be like, okay, yeah, now we, we know that we're actually able to compete with the big guys now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about some of the results that went against this last season and and where we were and where we could have been, if those had gone our way. So if we would have scored one more goal, we could have been in the European places or something like that. Um, And it's just kind of crazy to think about how, this season has started. So winning against Manchester United at Old Trafford, you know, mm-hmm. beating Leeds and, and, you know, having 
so many good results. Obviously, yesterday against Fulham was kind was that, of was that in, an aberration. Was that, was that in West London, that game? Yeah, yeah. Did, it was that, did, that, did that bring the end to your London winning streak? Yeah, if yeah, I it did. It did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were nine, nine undefeated in the Premier League. We hadn't lost in London in, like, over a year. So, yeah, yesterday was not a great day, but <laughs> I think that it was – it was needed because we had started out so hot that not only the fan base, but it just kind of felt like the, the vibe around the team was, were kind of untouchable, even though I know that we're not. And I know that nobody actually thought that we were, but there was just kind of that feeling like, Oh, we're going to win the league. Oh, it's just <laughs> going to happen this year. And like, it was mostly in jest, but uh-huh. I think that losing was like, okay, yeah, no, we actually have to focus on what's important this season, which is, you know, hopefully finishing top 10, hopefully finishing the, in the European places instead of just kind of being on a high and being like, you know, we're, we, we can do anything. Pascal Gross is going to be the, the goal winner. Uh, so, apparently, apparently the way he's playing. <laughs> oh, he's been unbelievable. But yeah, no, I, I think that it's been such an exhilarating start to the season. Obviously winning at Old Trafford on the first day of the season, you know, mm-hmm. that, that is, and winning twice in a row against them by pretty substantial margins has been kind of wild but we always play well against them so i i'm kind of expecting that and pascal gross just has them on a target board and is in his like flat mm-hmm. or something he's just he loves playing against them um and we honestly probably should have won against newcastle but yesterday was i think needed to then make that next step forward toward mm-hmm. what are the actual goals this season instead of just kind of you know living on the pipe dream so you know i think that the start to the season has been really good supporters base is very excited about what could happen mm. but we did kind of need that reality check like you know okay this is nice and all but what are we actually working on toward and and you know i think that i think that we're still obviously we're still in the top four going into the weekend and it's you know it's a great time to be a brighton fan and you know it's it's just really exciting to see where we could go you guys kind of have a nice little schedule in September. Obviously, we have an international break later in the month, but um, you got Leicester at home, Brighton or Bournemouth away, and then um, Crystal Palace at home. Mm. Definitely, I mean, two, I mean, two very winnable games there. Palace always a tough team to beat in general, but all three are easily, I should say, yeah, all three are winnable. October is where it gets interesting for you guys. You have Liverpool, Tottenham, Man City, and Chelsea, along Oof. with Frankfurt and Nottingham Forest. But so you got Jeez. four top six teams <laughs> in there. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds easier than playing Palace. <laughs> Palace, Palace. We always, we always, and see, that's kind of, that's the difficult thing about being a Brighton fan in the past couple of seasons too, is that we're on this high and we're finishing in the top 10. We're, you know, having all these great successes and we haven't been able to actually beat Palace. So we'll like mm-hmm. draw them last season. Neil Mope scores with the last kick of the game and, you know, goes up to the crowd and starts, you know, giving them a whole bunch of crap. <laughs> and it's and it's a draw like i mean at the end of the day it was a great result but we can't beat them and they're our main rivals so like yeah. there's just something about them that we can't figure out and it really frustrates me and i i really hope and feel <laughs> like this is going to be the year that we actually beat them again and hopefully do the double over them but mm-hmm. i'm not necessarily looking forward to that game because it's just always so tense and so much emotion going into it and then it always like ends in a draw or, or some heartbreaking defeat. And it's just really sad, but it's gonna I, be a I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hopefully 
beating them at some point again. It's going to be a great yeah, game. Yeah, oh, you're both I mean, moving in the right direction. You got Vieira, like, just yeah, absolutely there. You got and Potter, it's, it's nuts. It's a really good time to be a fan of either of those two teams, and that is just what makes that rivalry even more intense. It's just that both teams are on the rise. Both mm-hmm. teams really don't like each other, and we can't seem to beat each other. So, you know, one team, <laughs> will, one team will finish above the other over a season, and it's just like, where do we, where do we go from here? How can we one-up them and mm-hmm. hopefully this season we can actually do it in the pitch so are you telling me just a bet draw like every time they play <laughs> just curious just it's just like so i went there i went to brighton in 2018 and we so we did the, the double over palace in 2018-19 i went to the game at the amex in december 2018 we won 3-1 then the reverse fixture in like march knockart scored like some crazy goal and we won against them at Selhurst Park. And since then, we have not been able to beat them. And it's been really frustrating because you remember that season and you did the double over them and we barely stayed up. And it was like, you're the reason why we stayed up. We beat you twice. And yeah. now we're doing amazingly well. They're doing very well too. It's painful to say, but they are. <laughs> and we just can't beat them. So it's like, if we would have beaten Palace once last year, Maybe we would have finished in a European place or mm. if we would have, you know, beaten Southampton and, you know, the goal that Mopay scored in the, you know, 98th minute, then we would have gone in a European place. It's just kind of frustrating to think about the results that we could have had against teams like Palace, teams like Southampton, teams that are around us. And we kind of have a, you know, Palace is the main one, but we kind of have a kind of fake rivalry with Southampton just in terms of the fact that we're on the yeah. South coast and the media tries to play that up, even though we really don't care. But it's just those types of games that are in and around the teams that are in that same kind of area that we are that we just can't actually win. Were you guys that close off Europe last year? I honestly, I know the point. The points it weren't, was, weren't far. Away. Yeah, it was like we were right behind West Ham, so it was maybe like I can't remember how many points, but it was pretty close. It was like a result or two would have changed it for us. But you had a lot of rough draws too in there. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> As we're wrapping up, though, I guess, Paul, just from your perspective, big picture throughout the season, what's one or two big, bold predictions you want to throw out there, whether it's a specific player, specific thing for Brighton in particular, maybe even primarily as a whole? What are you kind of viewing uh, for the outputs or major things to be on the lookout for? Yeah, so for Brighton. So I'll just, I guess I'll go through predictions. Brighton, I think we're going to make Europe this year, whether it's Conference League or Europa League, mm-hmm. maybe even Champions League, who knows? Um, <laughs> we're going to make Europe this year. Um, I, I would say a top goal scorer. I have no idea. Pascal Gross is not going to finish on like 20 <laughs> goals. That's just not going to happen. And I, I guess, well, I, I don't know. Maybe if, if we sign a striker tomorrow, then they'll, lead the goal scoring mm. but I, I, I you can't I like, tell it just like doesn't make the, any sense i like the european the shot yeah. I, I like that yeah as a, as a goal score like a robert sanchez score like three goals on sunday <laughs> I, I really don't know um, <laughs> would be impressive and <laughs> what i can tell you about goal scoring though erling holland golden boot i mean he's gonna yeah. win the golden boot this week it's yeah, crazy it's, it's but i i'm really not looking forward to us playing man city <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody is. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> what um, 
couple another, another quick question. Youth player on the rise at Brighton. Who breaks out the season? Why? Who do you like? Yeah, I think if Julio and Ciso gets game time, if we don't send him out on loan, I think he's going to be a standout star. He's going to be mm. amazing. He was so quick and so inventive in the preseason, and I think he's going to just be a phenomenal star, if not this year, then, then in years to come. Um, if he doesn't, then you know, I, I really think the Kaoru Matoma, he's started or he's, he's played a few times for us so far this season. He played really well against Forest Green Rovers in the, the Carabao Cup. He played really well against Leeds too when he came on. Um, I, I think he's going to be just unbelievable. I mean, he, he's kind of taking, so he's kind of like a winger. He's kind of taking on some of the Kukurea runs up the pitch when he comes on. So especially he'll like come on as a sub in like the 70 plus minute to go against the slower tired players. And he'll just like make crazy moves and, and just make plays that nobody else could on the pitch at that time. So he's, he's really going to be exciting once he gets some assists in some good crosses in once things actually start to go into the net off of what he's creating, uh, he's just going to be fine. Nice. Nice. All right. People to look out for. I like that. Um, and where can, where can people find out more about you? You know, the Stateside Seagulls, all that kind of stuff in general. Yeah. So we're on Twitter and Instagram at BHAFC Stateside. So we are definitely looking to grow as, as many Brighton fans as possible here. Obviously, with the team doing well, that helps us too. So if you're, you're a Brighton fan from, from Brighton and you're living here now, or if you're a new fan who's watched the Seagulls and are really excited about where we're going, then you know, find us at BHAFC Stateside. We also have um, a membership link on both the Instagram and, and um, well, we also have Facebook too, but also the, the Twitter. So you can get membership updates from us and we're hopefully starting to get some, some new exciting stuff underway for Stateside Seagulls, especially with the Philadelphia Fan Fest coming up Nice. Uh, in October. So yeah. really looking forward nice. to it. I was going to say anywhere for the game. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we have um, on the website, statesideseagulls.com, we have kind of a, we're, we're updating the website now. So don't mind it too much, but, um, but no, we, we have a uh, map of where different meetups are across the country. So there's meetups in DC, New York, Chicago, Denver, Atlanta, you know, you name it you name a city in, in the U S and, and we probably have a meet up there. And if we don't, and you're a Seagulls fan and you're in a city that we don't have a meetup for definitely feel free to, to start that on yourself on your own and we'll amplify it for you. So. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else, Mike? I was going to say, I love your live tweeting, Paul, with the States. <laughs> I, uh, I am a, a very big fan of gifts. If you could. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's lo- Mike loves to interact with people on there. <laughs> but uh, that, that'll do it for this episode of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. Like, comment, hit the bell. Subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about the show, world football, the Premier League, and United States men's national team. I'm your host, Steve, with Mike and Paul, signing off.